Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. My guest this week on People First is my friend and colleague, Brad Montgomery. Brad is a certified speaking professional. And if you don't know what that means, stay tuned and you will learn. But ultimately, Brad teaches people to use happiness to boost productivity, creativity, innovation and profits. He turns typical meetings into transformational events using the power of happiness. And he's a pretty funny guy. And if you are unsure, he has been able to make audiences across 50 states and on four continents giggle. His clients include Microsoft, Verizon, the FBI, yep, that one, the CIA, yep, that one too, and the IRS. You mean the IRS has a sense of humor, Brad? I love it. I love it. Anyway, audiences and meeting planners describe Brad as authentic. He's a real... Um, he's a real human, a funny guy on stage and off, and I'm excited to share his leadership journey with all of us today. Brad, welcome to People First. And the crowd goes crazy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I really should have a laugh track going, or you should maybe. You could have hit that button for us. Okay. Oh, well, that'll do. Oh. <laughs> it's the Oscars. Uh, gosh, it's nice to be oh, I've got my little graphic going. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I forgot that it comes up. Mara, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited for the conversation. And as with every People First episode, Brad, I'm always a little bit nosy and a little bit curious about everybody's origin story. Because, of course, we see you, the Brad of today, the successful keynote speaker, um, Hall of Fame speaker, no less. Ooh. And it's easy to lose sight of the wee lad you once were. So when you were a wee lad back in elementary school, the teacher said, Brad, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted, to be, a, I wanted to be a larger lad. A larger lad. Okay. Uh -huh. I, yeah. So um, in fact, I'm going to, in a second, I'm going to walk behind the camera and grab a, a prop. Because okay. it's visual, baby. Um, I wanted to be the, not just the owner of an ice cream parlor. I wanted to be the owner of a chain of ice cream parlors, because I thought that was so cool. It would be. So can I ask, what's your favorite ice cream color? Uh, color, flavor? Uh, well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not vanilla. And I'll tell you why it's not. I love yeah. my wife. My wife is a vanilla with chocolate sauce woman. Uh -huh. That's what she wants. Um, and I like variety. So the key is variety. It's not, it really has nothing to do with the vanilla. It has to do with, oh, for Christ's sake, can we get something else? Mmm. So when I was little, my granny used to buy Neapolitan in a block. It was a, it was the vanilla, strawberry, yeah. and chocolate, obviously with yeah. all of the additives. And you had to fold the box down, and she would slice it and put it between little wafers. And I thought that was the height of luxury. But I have to say, I do like my sort of caramel waffle cone mm. mix with a bit of chocolate in there too. All right. Well, there you go. My experience with Neapolitan is that the strawberry is always, always left over. People are scooping out those vanilla and chocolate and the strawberries left. Yeah, well, no, I didn't like the chocolate because it was it was always fake chocolate. But yeah. they, so very important leadership journey in terms of ice cream flavors and how that has either emotionally scarred us or shaped us into the leaders that we are today. So tell me, what was the pivot point that then took you from aspiring ice cream parlor <laughs> leader to professional speaker and Hall of Fame? 
my like so many of us, Mark, my line uh, is not straight. So I got out of uh, I, I did magic tricks in college. So my summer job was being a magician at a Renaissance fair. Um, and oh, I have stories about that. Go on. Um, and then after college, I thought, oh, I'll do I'll I'll honestly I'll just master magic. I'm pretty good at it. I'll master it in a year, and then I'll go to law school, like my dad, and uh, that'll be that. And then, of course, you know, when you're 21, you're an idiot. You don't realize you can't master anything in a year. So um, after being in it for a while, I realized, one, oh, this is hard. And um, the year's not going to cover it. And two, I kind of got lucky because, um, or I I don't know, lucky. Maybe it's because I was awesome. But my goals were just, my only goal that year was to have fun, master magic, and um, not borrow money from my parents. And I got Mm -hmm. lucky and I got into some cool places and the money was coming in and uh, I was excited. And, you know, I won a contest, which was cool. And I got booked at the Magic Castle, which is a really uh, prestigious Mm -hmm. magic club for magicians. And I came back and said, screw law school. I'm not going. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was kind of open to it thinking, well, eventually I'll probably go to grad school. Yeah. But that time has not come. So next year. So that means I was an entertainer for years, and it was through that morgue that I got exposed to professional speaking and professional speakers. And then it was a 15-year morph into becoming not just a guy who stands on stage to entertain, but a guy who has um, an idea that he wants to communicate. So you make it sound so easy, but I have heard from you around the stories around the Magic Castle that it wasn't as smooth sailing as perhaps the jump, the time warp from then to now might appear. So tell me about some of the trips and stumbles along the way. Oh, I didn't have any. It was perfect. <laughs> cool as a I was born awesome. Come on. This is where I go liar, liar, pants on fire, Mr. Montgomery. <laughs> well, I think it's like every, every job is the same and that you start out as a young person thinking you're better than you are. And I think that's a nice that we all have that protective quality that we don't know at the time how dumb we are and how bad we are we only know that with hindsight Mm -hmm. because like in my case standing on stage i never would have done it if i would have known how bad i was thank Mm -hmm. heavens i didn't know right because i wouldn't whatever but um yeah so the the stumble trips and stumbles when you're a, a guy on stage are obvious i think you know if you're entry level in a big corporation or whatever sometimes they're not as blatant but when your audience walks out on you as they have on me you know if people just come up to you and say that sucks which they've done to me and we're not talking like maybe that happens at your quarterly 360 review we're talking if that happens daily or multiple times a day which it happened to me that feedback is instant and inescapable so you know quickly you learn you can't be on stage and um not have some dings and it's just part of the process it's just you cannot be a good anything on stage until you're at least mediocre and in my case really quite bad but that's part of it you know I'm, I, at this point i'm proud of that you can't that's one of the reasons i'm good now is i've been on stage thousands of times and um, lots of them sucked oh oh yeah and, and like you in an industry where we get graded absolutely every day and we all know the happy sheets etc that are done at the end of training workshops and to your point people can walk with uh, vote with their feet and walk out 
So what advice do you have for leaders who may be embarking on their performance review process right now and either about to deliver or receive feedback that doesn't fit their self-image? How, how can they best receive it with grace and process it in a way that helps them to learn and grow? You're asking new leaders who are about to get feedback as in, you know what, you're not an awesome leader yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, give in because that's the way. <laughs> Welcome to life, honey bunch. That's what I would tell them. You know, it's just part of it. I was um, talking to a professional, actually somebody you and I both know. He's also a speaker. Carl Mecklenburg is a pro pro bowl football player, former Denver Bronco. Yeah. He was talking um, that in football, if you're – if you make a mistake one time out of every 10, 10 times, so 90% success rate, but 10% mistake, then you're a pro bowler. And part of the football culture is you don't just make the mistake. Then you go into the office with all of your peers and you look at film of your mistake and everyone tells you how stupid you were. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get over that sort of feedback, you're never going to be a pro bowler because part of it is learning from the mistake and trying not to make that particular mistake again. And that is hard, isn't it? That kind it of is. tough shell. I mean, let's be clear. Getting feedback that um, that we need to do different, that we aren't living up to our, our own ideals, it hurts. It, it hurts. But as Carl demonstrated in that anecdote and his from his career and from all of us, it's looking for that 1% grain of truth and separating the what we did from who we are. Because it's not that I suck as a person. I suck at the magic trick that didn't quite go as effortlessly as I might have liked. It's not that I suck as a person. It was I was not as eloquent or on my game when I was on the stage and delivering that keynote. So it's the 1% of truth and then making a choice about what are we going to do, if anything, with it. Because the reality is we don't have to act on the feedback. But, of course, there are potential consequences if we choose not to. Right. Plus, I would just politely push back. On the, I, I'm not positive what you mean by 1% of the grain of truth. But like in Carl's example and in my example, when I was on stage and people left, I wasn't 1% bad. I was 100%. It just was wrong. It was digital. Like either that's good or it's bad. And I wasn't good. So there, there still is something there. Like, okay, apparently I want to get better. Um, and I'm not part of, to get be- part of the process of getting better is just to realize you're not there. You, you were talking about what advice I would give to those young leaders. I think part of it just get over yourself and take a deep breath and remember you're human. The life isn't life. You're, you know, sky's not falling today, but mm-hmm. it's a process. And you're, you know, you're going to be, if you're at the beginning of your career, let's say your mid twenties, you're going to be better in your late twenties. Oh, and guess what? You're going to be better in your early thirties. And you're going to still improve in your late thirties. Like just, if that's obvious and it should be, then I think it just gives yourself permission to say, calm the heck down. You're, you're learning, you're young, get, get used to it. So I love the fact that the focus of your business is around bringing happiness to the workplace to boost productivity, the creativity, innovation, as I mentioned in the introduction. So how has that how has that changed over the years? Because I flash back to my first career in banking, where I can assure you in the early 90s, 
happiness was not up there. It was the make money, make money, make money, transactional approach to business. But I recognize now it it's evolved. So tell us a little bit more about the happiness at work and why that is a passion for you. I think you're going to love how I deflect this question. (laughs) (laughs) When you introduced me, Morag, I was horrified when you mentioned all the happiness stuff. And then while you were talking, I looked at my own bio on my own darn website and went, oh, this is the wrong version. Um, So, yes, I have talked about happiness and you and I can talk about happiness as much as you like. And I totally plan to answer your question. But my current interest is really about social and emotional support as it relates to performance, which really is only a couple giant steps to talking about engagement and our personal sense of well-being and happiness. So they're they're on the same page. They're mm-hmm. like they're, they're spirit animals. Oh yeah, they are spirit. So tell us more about that then. That that's your passion. Why that? Why now? Um, because it's what I care about. And let me explain. When, when I first started to be a speaker, Marg, I just was trying to fill my calendar. I didn't have any passion about a speaker. I was, I, you know, my background was from entertainment. When you're an entertainer, your job is to please the audience. And so uh, and when I decided, oh, I guess I should be a speaker, I started thinking, how do I please the audience? And only when I grew up I did, did I realize, well, I, I can be quite good. And I won some very nice awards doing that type of material that I went out and researched and learned about and was able to communicate. But really things changed when I realized I don't care about this. <laughs> what do I care about? And why aren't I talking about that? And the way I discovered that is a little, it, it's, I think it's instructive for every career. I have, if, if you imagine this line being my entire keynote, mm-hmm. here's all the stuff that I was reporting on, uh, data I had read and studies I, you know, came to understand and whatever. And there was a little bit in the section that was kind of in my mind labeled stuff Brad actually believes and cares about. And that was the part when I get to that part, like, oh, this is really exciting. I love this part. And then I do it and and the feedback was good, but it's too late. I'm off to the, what I, what I needed to cover. Um, And I, so really about 10 years ago, so mid forties, how's that? I finally realized, oh, that section right there, that's my keynote. Screw it. That's it. Forget everything else. And, you know, like I said, all that stuff is on the same page. They're all siblings. So they're they're not, it's not crazy, but um, just realizing I only, this is what I really care about. I have been an encourager my entire life. I have been the recipient of like really strategic mentoring and coaching and um. I've really benefited from that. And when, you know, if you ask me, what do I want my kids to know about? What do I want any young person to know about? What do I want those, those people at the middle or end of their career to understand better when I am convinced they don't, it's calm down and remember your person. And uh, maybe you could be a little more supportive. Mm-hmm. If we can connect that to bottom line business metric growth, boom, that would be cool. And guess what? We can. It is. It's bringing the fun back to work so that in that mo- Today, we're recording this on a Monday. On that Monday morning when you wake up, when your feet touch the ground, if more of us could go, yay, it's Monday, I get to play with my work colleagues again and have fun versus the, oh, heck, it's Monday, another five days of this. If we can change that around and harness that passion, it makes a huge difference 
for everybody and what we can do together. Darn right. Yeah, and, I'll, and that's part of it, I think, right? Because that's sort of the engagement piece. Like, can you go in there and live? And and But the second part to me is equally or even more interesting, which is how do you get there? So, uh, and I think, um, to, and that's why uh, being a strategic encourager or, you know, harnessing social and emotional support in a way that's helpful um, really has a payoff, a social or a selfish payoff for us. And I think mm-hmm. that's how you get to the happiness piece. That's how you get to the yay, it's Monday piece. Mm-hmm. So um, audience members and participants in your programs, what do they leave with that they can apply in their own world and in their own world at work and their own world as it is now, work at home? Um, I want them to leave with the feeling that they can do it. Meaning um, I'm the first one to tell you, if you want the content from my keynote, I could probably give it to you on a note card. It's not that deep. And I'm I'm hypersensitive and aware of the fact that I am giving people information that they already know. I'm there. No one's listening to me saying, like, I have never heard that. Instead, they're saying, like, my grandma told me this. So then the question becomes, how do you tell people something you feel they should know um, in a way that makes them say, I want to listen, but most importantly, in a way that makes them want to act on it. And that's the motivational piece. And for me, the answer is feelings. And we don't talk about that much in business, but I want them to feel like this is relevant and feel like they can do it and feel like they understand what to do next and feel like they want to do next. So for me, it's all about is that a weird answer? That's oh, about feelings. I love it. Your grandmother was a wise woman. And like you say, a lot of what we share is common sense, but it requires an uncommon discipline to actually do it. It requires a passion to want to do it. It requires courage to do it, even in the face of in banking that this is not how business is done, but it's a choice. And often we're so busy running on our hamster wheels, we lose sight of that choice, that if we're not happy here, if we're not thriving and working and doing the skills and and area that we want, that we can influence and affect change. That's what makes your your session so powerful. This is where I'm politely pushing back. Mm -hmm. No, it's not that hard. It doesn't take courage. No, it's not that complicated. At least that's my take on it. I'm telling people to go out there and say, please, and thank you. Be nice. Care about people. Wonder where they sit and see if you can understand that. That to me is not rocket science. And that's what kills me when I, mm-hmm. when I talk to leaders and they're like, whoa, are you know, I read 19 books on a strategy of leadership. And I'm like, yeah, but have you ever let your people know that you care about them? And I, I, to me, that's just not hard that, that they already know that yet they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I was on a call this morning with uh, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith and the 100 Coaches, and that was the theme um, of the conversation that we had today, the need for acknowledgement and appreciation and recognition for ourselves and either asking for it, but also, to your point, the willingness to give it, because you can never over-appreciate or over-recognize others. And not only are you helping others to feel good about what they're doing, but there is a reciprocal because it fires off all of the, the mirror neurons and everything else. It feels good to give that appreciation. And yet we hold back. Yeah. You, you were mentioning about, you know, I, I know you and I are on the same page. 
Um, but I was saying I don't think it's hard. One of the first times I realized I had uh, a little wisdom for business, it was years ago, so the beginning of my speaking career. So I was still entertaining, but not selling or, you know, I wasn't selling myself as an entertainer, mm-hmm. but that meant I really was still making stuff up and didn't really know what I was doing. And I was hired by a big um, computer company that has three initials and one of them starts with I <laughs> and then there's an M and a B in there. See if you can figure out the okay, fair. Um, um, And I was hired for this big management com- uh, conference and they were teaching these newish managers, all these fancy techniques. And, you know, they had an unlimited budget to train these new leaders. And um, I, I'm sitting in the back as they're talking about managing by walking around. And the, the point was hilarious to me. Oh, you got to get out of your chair and you got to walk and go talk to, to people. the people you're managing. And uh-huh. maybe you're going to have to talk to them. And I'm like, you know, and they're scribbling notes. Oh, I'm managing the wrong round. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, I can do that. And I'm just thinking, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that isn't obvious to you. Oh, forgive me, Mark. My phone's ringing. It's behind my brick wall. <laughs> it's the CEO of a certain computer company. Saying, oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> we want you back. <laughs> you named us by initials. You couldn't fool us. We know exactly what you're doing. Uh, but, you know, the, my point is that they were kind of holding out as, oh, this is a, a strategy. It's a skill. It's a tactic. Let me teach this to you. And I'm like. I know, but you've got to give grace here that sometimes we just need a reminder. For example, for me, I know it took me 262 days. And I know that because I was using it in my own keynotes to wonder why I was getting a little grumpy last year, because obviously the whole world went sideways with the pandemic. And I realized that I'd replaced my commute and downtime on airplanes every week. Um, with a bed desk, bed commute. And I wondered why the COVID curves were going the wrong way. (laughs) And so there it was all about the reminder of, okay, what new habits am I going to introduce? For example, when I hang up from the endless Zoom calls, I now hang up and I go do something, I move. And again, it's not rocket science, it's obvious. Don't just sit It's unhealthy, but we need that reminder sometimes to just shake us up a little bit and start making the easy habits part of our everyday approach. Yeah, I feel you. You're right. (laughs) Um, I I think the difference is like the the word um, simple and easy, and they're Mm -hmm. not the same, but I just kind of feel like, of course, there are hard skilled tactics and strategies for leadership that leaders ought to know. And I honestly don't have a lot to say about those, but that soft skill tactic of doing this to me is ridiculously simple, but I agree with you. That doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. And in fact, I wouldn't be in business if it was so yay. So on that note, Brad, how can people learn more about the programs that you offer and get the updated bio <laughs> I know. Actually describes the value that you bring. <laughs> oh, <laughs> can you imagine that? Uh, BradMontgomery.com. My name is Brad Montgomery, and that's a website, BradMontgomery.com. Come on by and visit. Please do. And I'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes around us, Brad. I look forward to seeing you in all full glorious three dimensions in due course. But in the meantime, thank you for sharing your leadership journey with people first today. You rock, Morg. You're doing good work. Keep keep it going. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.